take your Bibles this morning open to uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. As you're turning there, uh, this morning we are going to begin with uh, the ministry and message of John the Baptist again. Uh, last week we looked at it according to the Gospel of Mark, uh, and so this morning we are going to start there, but we're going to quickly uh, transition to the subject of his testimony. And so, as we noted last week, uh, it's incredibly difficult to tell uh, Jesus' first Advent story without including his forerunner, John the Baptist. And so, um, John, just like Mark and some of the other gospel writers, include the story of John at the beginning of his gospel account. And so, if you have your Bibles, uh, in First John chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter one, verse six, we'll get there. John one six. Uh, we hear this, this phrase, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So last week we looked at the implication of his ministry and his message that repentance is necessary for all people, um, that repentance precedes forgiveness and that repentance is both a response and an action. So where we will pick up this morning is the subject of his testimony. The Bible says he came as a witness. He cried out, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told constantly of the one who was coming, who he wasn't even worthy to untie his sandal, the task of the lowest slave, as we noted last week. And he proclaimed that the one coming uh, after him would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Apostle John summarizes all of John the Baptist's ministry in his prologue when he says, John came to bear witness about the light. It is to that subject we turn our attention to this morning, the light that John the Baptist bore witness to. Let's pick up in John 1, verse 9. <clears throat> the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a summary of Jesus's life and ministry that John will go on in detail in his gospel. Right, uh, The purpose of which he clearly states at the end of his gospel, the conclusion, John 20. Now Jesus did many other signs uh, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says this is a, the summary of what Jesus did. The world was in darkness. As the true light, he came into the world. The world did not know him. His own people rejected him. But, but there were those who received the light. And because of that, they were completely transformed. They became something they were not before by encountering the light. They became children of God. This is John's summary of the ministry of Jesus. And so the question is, what does it mean to become a child of God? And that question is important for a number of reasons. For the person who believes they are a child of God, 
Asking what it means to become one will allow them to evaluate their own experience in light of what Scripture says about it. For the person who wonders if they are a child of God, it can help answer the question clearly in their mind. And to the person who wonders why they would even want to become a child of God, it will highlight the reality that accompanies someone who has become a child of God. And so wherever you are this morning, wherever you consider yourself on this question of are you a child of God, this morning I pray will be helpful to you as we examine our passage. And so uh, this morning I want to answer that question, what does it mean to become a child of God, uh, with three simple statements. And so the first is this, if you're a note taker, uh, no one is naturally a child of God. No one is naturally a child of God. And so in today's world, especially in a world that prides itself on being quote-unquote spiritual, uh, but not religious, the sentiment is often uh, expressed that everyone is a child of God. That, That all religions ultimately point to the same entity, and therefore we are all children of God. Even among evangelicals, this thinking can be found I mean, God created the universe, and therefore, since mankind has been created, they are children of the Creator. And while this sentiment may sound good, it's not what Scripture teaches. Yes, God created every man, woman, and child. The psalmist declares in Psalm 139, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God is the Creator. And yes, He has perfect knowledge of us, but when the scriptures talk about being a child of God, this is not something we are in relation to being created, but rather it is a description of a special relationship to God the Father. This is what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says, this is a basic assumption of the Christian gospel. We are not by nature children of God. We need to become his children. By nature, we are alienated from God. Not one of us possesses by nature the characteristics of a child of God. Instead, we show all the signs of rebelling against him and turning away from him and his fatherly love over or fatherly rule over our lives. Notice what he says there. By nature, that is by birth, we are alienated from God. Why? Because every person since Adam, with the exception of only one, has been born into and suffers from the fall of humanity in the garden of of Eden. Romans 5.12, Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We're not only born dead spiritually, we're not born only born under the curse of sin, we have all collectively sinned of our own desire, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the condition that the Bible paints of man apart from God. This is often called the doctrine of original sin. And by original sin, we do not mean that first sin of Adam and Eve, but the consequences of that first rebellion against God. And theologians and differing Christian faiths disagree on the implications of this doctrine. And we simply don't have time to highlight all of them, but I thought for our purposes, let us simply go to the Baptist faith and message, and hear what it says about this topic. It says this, Through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed the command of God and fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity inherited a nature and an environment inclined towards sin. 
Therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, they become transgressors and are under condemnation. So whether you believe that man is incapable of not sinning, or you believe he's simply prone to it, the result for every man and woman is as soon as they are capable of moral action, choosing obedience or sin, they become transgressors and are under condemnation. Every person, every person, there are none that are naturally children of God. According to the Bible, the one who sins is a slave to sin and by nature not a child of God, but rather a child of wrath. Ephesians 2 says it this way, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Follow Paul's argument for just a minute. As a child of wrath by nature, you lived in the passions of your flesh, doing what you wanted because of the spirit of disobedience that was working in you. As you follow the course of this world, as you follow the prince of the power of air, that is Paul's way of describing Satan and his limited ability to rule sinful men and women. So if we want to get right down to it, we're not just not children of God by nature, we are children of Satan by nature. Isn't that what Scripture says? John, in writing his first epistle, says this. He further develops his thought. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he is born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You may think, that's not very nice, Pastor. You can't call people children of the devil. The good news is, I didn't. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. In John 8, people claim, they say, God is our Father. And Jesus will not let that false statement stand. So John 8, he tells them, they say, we have one Father, even God. And Jesus said, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your Father, the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires. They say, God's our Father. He says, no, he's not. Because if he was, you would believe in me. You are showing works evident that your father is the father of lies. Why is this important? Why spend so much time here? Because if no one is naturally a child of God, then naturally they are a child of the devil. And listen, we're not saying that because they were created by the devil. We're not saying because the devil is somehow equal to God, not even that he's on the same footing as God, but to be a child in Scripture signifies not only relationship, but describes our actions. If we sin, and if sin is rebellion against God, we are acting just like the original rebeller and can be therefore said to be by nature and by choice his child. Which means if nothing changes... We are destined for the righteous and just wrath of God against our sin, for the wages of sin is death. So if anything 
is going to change, then we must become something we are not by nature. You follow? If by nature no one is a child of God and no one apart from God can experience forgiveness of their sins, but only the wrath of his just and righteous anger against their sin, then we have to become something that we are not by nature, which is exactly what we find in our text. The second statement this morning is being a child of God is something we must become. No one is naturally one, so it's something that must, we must become. And so let's go back to our text this morning, First John, John 1, 9. Again, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but all to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the, the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Because everybody, because we were all in darkness, we needed the true light, which John says gives light to everyone. And I think it's fairly obvious to say that what John doesn't mean is that every person in the world has the light of Christ, or otherwise our world would be a very different place, right? But what I think he's saying there is that the light is available to everyone, as in not just Jews, as the covenant people, but a light for all people, Jew or Gentile. And this is consistent with what Scripture says about who Jesus is. I want to take your mind back to the very beginning. Jesus has been born. Uh, it has been 41 days since the nativity scene we have in our minds. His parents bring him to the temple to dedicate him according to the law, and something unusual happens. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He says that Jesus is glory to the people, Israel, and a light for revelation in the Gentiles. And the word glory here is, has to do with brightness or splendor. And so he says Jesus, the true light, is going to give light of revelation to the Gentiles who did not have it, and he's going to magnify the light that was given to the Jews by the brightness and glory of his presence. He is going to fulfill all of the old Covenants. He's going to display all of the types and shadows. He is going to be the splendor of Israel, the glory of them, and he will be light and revelation to the Gentiles. To both, he is the true light that has come into the world, which gives light to everyone. He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. As I said before, this is a great summary of what John records in his gospel. The very word of God by which everything was created had entered into his creation, and yet the world did not understand who he was. They did not know him. Even those closest to him often missed in their understanding of who he was. Even worse, John says, he came to his own. The long-awaited prophesied Messiah, the greater prophet, the greater king, the greater high priest, and his own people did not receive him. They rejected and reviled him. The religious leaders 
rejected him. Ultimately, he was rejected by the Jewish population at large who had him crucified by Rome, neither believing his claims or embracing his teachings. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him, but. But to all who did receive him, that is among the Jews and the Gentiles, men and women who believed in his name, That is, those who accepted what he said about himself, those that put their faith in God's anointed for salvation, to them was given something not available to those who rejected him. What was given to them? The right to become children of God. The word right there is often translated as authority in the New Testament. It's best understood here as the privilege That is, apart from his gift, no one has the privilege of becoming anything other than what they are. And make no mistake, it is a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Jesus has been given all authority as the only begotten Son of God, the eternal Son, because He perfectly obeyed the Father, humbling Himself even to the point of death. He has been raised above every name and now gives the privilege to become co-heirs, adopted sons and daughters into the household of God through faith in Him. Notice the language. He gives the right to become. He gives the privilege of becoming something you are not before. The Bible talks about this in all kinds of ways, but one of the most beautiful ways it talks about it is when Jesus is explaining it to Nicodemus, the Pharisee that comes to him by night when he says, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless he becomes something he is not by nature, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? He has to become Something else. How does this happen, Jesus says to Nicodemus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The true light has come into the world and men either reject it for love of darkness or believe in it by faith and become children of it. This is what John tells us. Which leads us to a very important question. If no one is naturally a child of God, and to be a child of God, you must become one, how do we become one? How do I become a child of God? Which leads us to our last statement this morning. Statement three, only by the will of God can we become his children. Only by the will of God can we become his children. Let's return to our text one more time this morning. John 1. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
John lists three means by which a child of God is not born. A child of God is not born of blood. That means there is no one born by birth a child of God, right? We, we talked about this in the first statement, but just for a moment, let me make some quick applications. That means you cannot have been born a Christian. Sometimes in counseling or, or, or conversation or, or asking someone's story, I'll ask someone how long they've been following Christ, and they'll say, I've been a Christian all my life, or I've been a Christian since I was born. Impossible. The Bible says that you were not born a child of God, that you were not born a follower of Christ. It says you cannot be born a Christian. Not even, listen, not even if you were born into a Christian family. Not even if they had you in church every time the doors were open. Yes, thank God for godly families, and God often uses these situations in the lives of born-again believers, but make no mistake, as I've said before, God does not have grandchildren. You are not saved by your parents' faith. You are not saved by your grandparents' faith. You cannot be born a Christian. Scripture says that those that are born again, those that become children of God, are not born that way naturally, period. Spurgeon writes, sin runs in the blood, but grace does not. Grace is something that each one of us has to experience on our own. You cannot pass it on to your children as badly as you want to. Salvation is not hereditary. So John says, listen, those that are born again are not born of blood. Second, John says, a child of God is not born of the will of the flesh. Now, the will of the flesh, as I understand it, is the will of the natural man. There is nothing in the desire of the natural man that produces new life. Perhaps the Reformed Expository Commentary says it best when it says it this way. This distinction is important today when people associate spiritual experiences with a true work of God. But no surge of the emotions will cause the new birth. Moving people to tears at a church service will not produce the kind of change that transforms us into God's children. We must be born of God and not of the will of the flesh. The emotional response of man does not enable him to become a child of God. Oftentimes, if we're honest, emotional responses do not enable us to do much beyond the time we walk out of the doors or the song ends. We're so moved. And then the song ends or the service ends and we go about our way and we have been motivated to do nothing. Listen, there is no experience of the flesh that will transform us from death to life. God's children are not born that way. John says in John, Jesus says in John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. The flesh can only produce the things of the flesh, and the flesh does not want the things of the Spirit. So listen, there is no experience that you can have in the flesh that will convert you or transform you from a child of wrath to a child of God. John says they're not born that way. Third, John says a child of God is not born by the will of man, which is related to the will of the flesh, but implies more than an emotional response. It is the desire to do something, to exercise one's own will. The Reformed Expository Commentary goes on to say this, this too cuts across the spirit of our age. People think the rebirth occurs by getting people to exercise their will. 
by making a decision, by filling out a card, by raising a hand, by walking an aisle in response to an altar call. But John explicitly says that it is not the will of man that causes the new birth. The change is a supernatural one and it cannot be caused by any natural means. So if I cannot be born a Christian and I cannot emotionally experience anything to make me a Christian and I can't exercise a a will, a choice to become a child of God, how in the world does anyone become a child of God? It is a supernatural work of God that one is born again. This is what John says when he says, those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, everything else, but they are born of God. This is what Jesus says when he says to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is important. Jesus says, there is no formula. There is no singular action that man can take to be born again. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by which we are born again. It is something that God does by the power of His Word and the power of His Spirit. The only thing we can do in the process of the rebirth is to faithfully proclaim the Word of God so that He can use that in bringing life to dead things. I cannot save anyone You cannot save anything, anyone, because there's nothing that man can do by will or flesh alone. Amen. Amen. It has to be a work of God. This is the whole argument Paul makes in Romans. In Romans 10, he makes a statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Here's the application. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The Lord saves whom he wills to save. And he uses his word to do so. When someone hears the gospel news, God creates in them a desire to obey it, to repent and trust in him. They call out to him and they are saved. They are born again. They have exercised the privilege of becoming a child of God. This is what John declares produces a child of God, not a natural relationship from birth, not an emotional response in the flesh, not a man devised exercising of the will. It is a work of So what would we say is the hope of mankind this morning then if they are not children of God but of wrath? This is the hope, the true light of the world. The only Son from the Father has come who has not only made Him known, not only who was full of grace and truth, but He has ushered in grace upon grace so that we might become a child of God. This is where John finishes his whole prologue with with verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him when he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus, the very word of God, came, lived, died, was raised again, ascended to the Father, received the gift of the Holy Spirit, poured it out on his church so that God could bring men and women, children of wrath, into a saving relationship with himself as his children, saved by grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. The title of today's message is Born Again? Because that's the question we have to wrestle with individually this morning. Has God caused us to be born again? Am I a child of God? And if your answer to that question depends on the exercising of your own will, depends on an action in the flesh that you took, or a desire that you think you had from yourself, listen, that is not the way a child of God is born according to Scripture. It is because God supernaturally acts in your heart and causes new life. And then there's, there's evidence of that. And so listen, this is something I'm going to leave you with this morning as we think about the advent and we think about uh, Christ's first coming in Bethlehem and then when he comes into the heart of the believer through this supernatural work and then finally when he returns to earth to receive his people to himself, the question we have to ask is, have I been born again? Have I been translated from the natural child of wrath that I inherited from my birth to a born-again child of God? And if you can't answer that question in the affirmative, let me just encourage you to spend some time with God's Word this week. If you want a good test, read the book of 1 John and ask yourself, do you meet the, what John says are the test of someone who has been born again? Let's pray this morning.